Welcome to the Second Students North podcast. My name is Luis. We're in a series called Extraordinary. In this series, we talk about how God takes ordinary people and he uses them to do extraordinary things. We pray and hope that God speaks to you directly through this message. We hope you enjoy week two. All right. Hey, guys. How are y'all doing tonight? Okay, doing okay. I'm Lauren. I'm Randy's wife, in case you don't know me. Um, But I am so glad to have the opportunity to get to share a little bit about what God has laid on my heart, uh, share a little bit about one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But before we get started, we're continuing in our Extraordinary series that we started a couple of weeks ago. We're talking about how God takes ordinary, sometimes unlikely people and uses them and does extraordinary things through them because he is an extraordinary God. So last week, Shelby talked about King David, how God continued to use King David, even though he messed up in some really big, bad ways. And she made a great point, and I want to remind us of this point. She reminded us that we are all ordinary. Whether we like to hear that or not, whether we want to be or not, we are just ordinary people. But the extraordinary one, the only extraordinary one who can do extraordinary things through us is God. So today we're talking about another character in the Bible. Like I said, last week is King David. We're talking about another character in the Bible, uh, one who is a very unlikely person uh, for God to use because of her profession. Her profession labeled her in a way that most people would say would completely discount her from being used by God. But before we get started and talk about our character, I wanna talk a little bit about labels. I mentioned that her label uh, maybe discounted her from use from God. So let's talk about labels for a second. Uh, In our society, in our culture, labels are put on all of us all the time. So many times our labels are put on us or they're put on other people because of things that they've done, maybe things that they do well, things that they choose to do for a job or a profession. Uh, Sometimes they're put on us for negative things as well. So I'm going to throw up some people on this, uh, I'm going to throw up some pictures on the screen and I want you to yell out who it is and yell out their label or what they are known for. So let's throw up the first picture. Who's that guy? Okay, what's his label? What's he known for? He's the GOAT. That's right. He's a basketball player. He's the GOAT, greatest of all time. Okay, let's throw up the next one. What's her label? Singer, songwriter, yep. Okay, next one. (laughs) The girls know that one. Okay, so what is he known for? What's his label? Actor, celebrity. Okay, last one. Who's that guy? Hitler. Okay, so he's known for something negative, clearly. What's his label? Dictator, murderer. Yeah, okay, so like I said, all of these people are labeled because of something they've done or a profession that they have. It can be good or it can be bad. So in the same way, our character in our story tonight was labeled because of her chosen profession. We're talking about Rahab tonight. Anybody heard of Rahab before? Maybe some of you, anybody heard her story? Okay, well, we're gonna dive into it tonight. She's one of my favorite characters because she offers such hope. Her story offers such hope um, that God can take anyone and do extraordinary things through them. So uh, what I want you to see through her story is that God took the label that life and that the world had placed on her 
He took it and he changed it from one of shame and darkness to one of redemption and light. He completely changed her life. And so tonight we're gonna break down the story of Rahab into scenes um, through this narrative. And we'll be reading in Joshua chapter two and then in Joshua chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua two. But the first scene I want, uh, that I've named it is Rahab hides the spies. So in Joshua two, I wanna set a little context for you. So up to this point, the Israelite people, they have already been in Egypt. They have experienced the exodus through out of Egypt. They have spent their 40 years in the wilderness. Moses has just died. Joshua has been named the leader of the Israelite people, and now it's time for them to come and take the promised land. They're gonna enter the promised land and conquer it and take over it. So that's the, where we find the Israelite people at this point. And now they've come to the city of Jericho. So I'm gonna read in verse, uh, verse one, chapter two, it says this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So a little context for Rahab. We heard her label already. She's a prostitute. That's her profession. Um, and Many scholars believe she also ran an inn out of her home, so it would have been a great place for the spies to go because it was a place that people were accustomed to seeing strangers come and go from her home. So that's one thing to know about her. The other thing, she's a pagan. She does not believe in the one true God. Jericho is a city full of Canaanites. Canaanites are fierce enemies of the Israelite people. So she does not believe in the one true God. She actually worshiped Baal. And the other thing to know, Rahab's house is in a prime location. Her home is actually built into the wall of Jericho, right next to the gate to the city of Jericho. So she had a prime location, making it the perfect place for the spies to sneak in the gate, go straight to her house, and check out whether the Israelite people could take over the land. So she takes in these, these spies come into her home and the king hears that spies from Israel have come and they are, are lodging at Rahab's home. And the king shows up asking about the spies and he asks her to turn them over to him. So that immediately shows you there's a relationship between the king and Rahab. He knows her and she knows him and he's, he's sent his guards to come and talk to her and say, turn over the spies. So in this moment, Rahab is faced with a really big decision. So Rahab's whole life, the life that she's built for herself, is one completely opposite of the things of God. What she's chosen to do for her chosen profession, how she lives her life, it's completely opposite to the things of God. And in this moment, she is confronted with the one true God through these spies. So what is she gonna do? What is, what is she to do in this moment? Is she to abandon the life that she's built for herself, the only life that she's ever known, or will she place her trust and place her faith in the one true God? So. In this moment, she's a pagan prostitute living a lifestyle completely opposite. What does she do? Will she trust God? So in this moment, Rahab chooses to lie to the king's guards, to hide the spies and say, hey, they, they snuck out of the gate right before it closed. They are already into the wilderness. If you go right now, you can follow them. You'll catch up with them. So she leads the guards astray and she keeps the spies hidden in her home. Why would she do this? I wanna read in verses four through seven. It says this. 
But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, true, the men came to me. This is her talking to the guards. But I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Why would she do this? This decision in this moment not only threatens her way of life, but it threatens her very life. I mean, her getting caught in a lie to the king, he could have just taken her life in that moment. Why would she do this? Well, we get a glimpse of why she did this in a couple of verses. I'm gonna continue reading in verse eight. It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the, he, the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Why would she do that? because she placed her faith and trust in the one true God. Rahab places all of her eggs in the basket of God. Despite the life she's led, despite not knowing this God or his people, she doesn't know these spies, despite knowing this could literally take her life, she trusts the one true God. I wanna read the end of verse 11 again. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. And maybe you're here tonight and you think, I could, never, I could never trust God. I could never leave behind the life that I've made for myself, the reputation I've made for myself. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, God wouldn't want my trust because of what I've done. God wouldn't, wouldn't want me to place my faith and trust in him. But here's the thing, it's never too late for God to change your life, and you've never gone too far for him to reach you. That's the truth of this story. Rahab had lived a life, like I said, opposite of everything of, of God. But in this moment, she places her faith and trust in him. That's the extraordinary thing. It's not that Rahab did anything extraordinary. It's this God that she placed her faith and trust in. That's the extraordinary moment. We're going to continue to read. The second scene happens now. I call it Rahab strikes a deal. So we move on from Rahab's confession and profession of faith to now she works to strike a deal so that she is saved. She and her family is saved. In verses 12 through 14, it says this. Now then, please, this is Rahab talking to the spies. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So Rahab now has decided she's gonna come to these spies and say, okay, I've, I've protected you, now I'm looking for you to protect me. And the spies agree, but there are some conditions to this promise. The first condition is that she has to keep them a secret, keep the fact that they've come and scouted out the land a secret. The second, the second condition we find in verse 18, I'm gonna read it, it says, behold, when we come into the land, 
You shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. So the spies have said, keep us a secret and then tie this scarlet cord and hang it out of your window. That's the sure sign that this deal is still on. And I don't wanna miss this picture. I love when there are connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So this scarlet cord in these days was a way for people to know that someone in a home believed in the one true God. And that was the truth of this scarlet cord in this moment. That this was a signal to the spies that she believed in the one true God. And here's the thing. That scarlet cord represented Rahab's salvation from the pillage and the death that was coming at the hands of the Israelites when they took Jericho. And here's the thing, students. That scarlet cord in Joshua 2 is a picture of the scarlet blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us. That's our salvation. There's a connection there. We can't miss the fact that this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. He would provide for us. In the same way that scarlet cord provided salvation for her, Jesus' scarlet blood provides salvation for us. So after this moment, they make the deal and she helps them escape out of the window. They run off, they find Joshua and they report to Joshua that surely the town of Jericho, the city of Jericho is ours. Now we move on to scene three and it's in Joshua six. So if you're in your Bibles, return to Joshua six. And this scene three, the final scene we're gonna talk about is Rahab finds salvation. So what I want you to know about this, I give a little context of what's happened since she let them out the window. Um, they have crossed the Jordan River. You've probably heard that story of the, the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant and the waters washing away and the Israelite people crossing the Jordan River on dry ground, kind of like they did with the Red Sea after Egypt. So they've done that. They have crossed over. They have prepared themselves to now take the promised land. And Joshua has been given a really strange battle plan. You probably know it. You gotta walk around, march around the city of Jericho, the walls, one time for six days and then you've got to do it seven times on the seventh day. Everybody shouts and the walls fall. It sounds really strange, but he gives these commands to his people. And so the people have done it. They have walked around one time for six days in a row and now they've walked seven times around and it's time for everyone to give out a shout. So we pick up in verse 20, it says this. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As, the people, as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shattered a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They devoted all in the city to destruction. And go, moving on to, chapter, or to verse 22, it says this, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And now jump down to 25, it says, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. What I want you to see here is that because Rahab placed her faith and trust in the one true God, she found salvation. It wasn't in anything that she did. It wasn't in any, any step that she took. She placed her faith and trust 
in the one true God. She confessed him as the one true God, and then she followed through in obedience. She hid the spies, she kept the conditions, and she found salvation because of that. And here's the thing, students. It's the same for us. Rahab is just an ordinary person. Honestly, probably one of the more unlikely characters in the Bible to be used by God in this way. And many of us in this room may think that we're just ordinary or that we are very unlikely characters to be used by God. What I want you to know is Rahab didn't do anything extraordinary. God did the work. God is the extraordinary one. He did that through her. Now, in this story, just by way of closing, in this story, what I want you to know, Rahab is the protagonist, but the real story is about God's redemption. And that's the truth in any book that you read in the Bible. There are characters, and sometimes we call them heroes of the Bible, but the truth is, is there's one hero, and it's God. And his Bible is only about him. Rahab was ordinary, unlikely, but she placed her faith in the one true God, and that's what made the difference. Rahab's story, this is so encouraging. Rahab's story doesn't end in Joshua 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 1. I'm going to turn there. I'm going to read for you in Matthew 1, 1 and 2 and 5 and 6. It says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then it goes on with some other names. And it says in verse 5, And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. So from that decision that she made to place her faith and trust in the one true God back in Joshua 2, her name is one of the five women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. How amazing is that? God changed her label from prostitute to princess because she placed her faith and trust in the one true God. And again, she's mentioned again in Hebrews. I want you to turn there, Hebrews 11. Many people call this this chapter the hall of faith because it talks about those people who who have made great steps of faith. It says in verse 31, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. God changed her label again from pagan prostitute to faithful protector. From faithless pagan to faithful protector. God can do that. But he can do that for us too. He can change our lives. He can change our labels. And some of you may be thinking, why is her label always mentioned when her name is mentioned? Every, almost everywhere you read her name, it's always Rahab the prostitute or the prostitute named Rahab. It's like, can't a girl get a break? She could not. But I, one pastor said it this way. It's so that the reader remembers that you're never too far gone to save you that you're never too far gone for God to save you, that you're never too far away for him to reach you. It's a reminder that no matter where you find yourself, what sin you've committed, where you are in your walk, whether you know Jesus or not, you're never too far gone for him to reach you. 